and the way it was running just did not look like any human. Immediately, it felt like someone was watching. Something was watching. We seen some eyes which were glowing a bright red. Welcome everyone. You're listening to this Sasquatch show brought to you by Nicola Valley Bigfoot. Sit back and enjoy. Hi, I'm Kathy and I wanted to share my most memorable um, sighting of Bigfoot. In 2012, I was in Oklahoma and I had been invited to the property to just kind of check it out because they were having uh, what they thought were Bigfoot encounters. And my husband and I decided to make a vacation out of it. So we went back there for a week. The first day on the property was pretty boring, but then the next day, uh, my whole life changed. And so this was in May. And so it had plenty of sunshine and everything. But through most of the day, these uh, cabins had tin roofs on them. And we spent most of the day, uh, a rock would be thrown and hit the roof of one of the cabins and we'd run over there to try to see what was going on. And then by the time we got over there, um, a rock would hit the other roof and we'd have to run back over to the other side. And I kind of got tired of that because, you know, it wasn't very good terrain. There's green briars on the ground and it was just difficult to keep running back and forth. So I decided to stay back uh, at the main cabin where we were staying. So it was finally about uh, six six o'clock or so when they uh, everybody else came back and there was uh, five of us in total there at the time. And so we're sitting down and we're just taking a breather and we're kind of sitting in a semicircle and I'm looking down what we call the bottleneck. And we call it that because it's one of the few places on that property where you can walk pretty un- unimpeded because of you know, the lack of vegetation in that particular spot. We think it was in a, an old road at some point that they just abandoned and let it, let the rest of the area start growing back in. Well, one of the gentlemen with me started to say, I can hear footprints. I can hear something walking or running. And, and we thought it was a fox that we had seen the day before. And as I look up, I see two Bigfoots, a little one and a big one, coming right at us. I mean, they're basically walking along the hillside probably no more than like 50 yards from me. And it's clear that they don't know that we're there because, you know, obviously they wouldn't have been walking right at us. And essentially they were, you know, really loud and that's what drew our attention. And so because I'm super excited and I got um, very enthusiastic, I jump up out of my chair and I said, there they are. And I started running at them. And of course, you know, that didn't work out so well. They turned then and bolted up this hillside faster than anything I've ever seen in my life. I I thought that they were on a bungee and it was just so quick. You know, if I believed in ghosts, I would have thought I just saw two ghosts because they moved so fast and rapid. And one of the most unbelievable things is um, they did it very quietly, even though they had been loud coming towards us. They obviously didn't feel like they needed to be quiet. But the second they went up that hillside, you didn't hear even a rock move. It was just unbelievable how fast it went. And they're, both of them were about the same shade of color, and I always had the impression that the bigger one was the sibling of the smaller one, and that uh, she, I would assume, was trying to get the little one to do what she wanted, and he wanted, for whatever reason, to get closer or, 
or somehow get to see what, what, who was staying at that cabin. Oh, wow. Did anything else happen after that? Oh, no. We had a whole week of just constant um, rock throws, uh, sounds, yells, um, all kinds of stuff. It was a very long week. When we finally left there, um, I literally felt like I had been at war. I mean, I was just in so shocked and, and worn out and just like, you know, you never got any sleep because you didn't know what was going to happen at any given moment, you know. And uh, one morning I had, we had had a very long night where we just were bombarded by rocks. And so I finally got a little bit of sleep and I got woken up around 6 a.m. or so the next morning by a, clearly a creature. And I hear this sound, I hear, Wooga! like that, just angry, like we want you to come outside or where are you kind of thing. And then a big rock was thrown um, at the front door of the cabin. And so it was just constantly like that. It almost sounds like you, you startled the uh, the two and then they went and told, you know, whoever they're going to tell. And then, and then, you know, maybe maybe dad came back and he wanted to, you know, set the set yeah, things right. Knows. Yeah, it just it just seems <laughs> that's, that seems like a very socialistic pattern, don't you think? Like it, it's very that's very intelligent, like for them to, you know, come back and and keep trying to get rid of you. Well, it, they one of the things I've noticed about them is there's never one. So if you see one, there's some, there's another one somewhere. You just may not be seeing it. And they do assist each other for definite sure. Like at one point we had, I'm, I'm kind of not captured or anything like that, but we had a Bigfoot where we knew where he was and we could tell where he was. And it was obvious that um, we were making a fuss over it because I had one of the guys that were there um, was yelling at it. And so it was very obvious that something was happening. And we then got basically almost surrounded by three others that were basically telling us, leave that one alone, get out of the way, pay attention to me over here so that it could get away. Even, you know, you know what I mean with that? It, yeah. it was very, we got intimidated directly, like, uh, no, that's, yeah. don't mess with this one. This one's protected. And so we were like, well, okay, backing off so that we wouldn't have, I, who knows what could have happened. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't willing at that moment to find out what was going to happen. So yeah, and and you guys stayed for the rest of the week. You said yeah, we said that that happened to, towards the end, and then uh, probably the worst thing that happened um, that week is one of our members got bum rushed. Um, so you know when a a, a gorilla a grayback, when a silverback, not a grayback, uh, rushes and tries to intimidate you and just stops short of taking you out, but it's meant to intimidate you if you don't, you know, it's it's very aggressive and you, you basically just survive if you're a human. You put your head down and you curl up in a ball and say, yeah, you know, you're dominant. One of our members had that happen to him by a big foot. And so he was so shooken up, he couldn't even walk. They had to go over and help him back to the cabin and he, he was shaking so bad and he was throwing up and it was just a horrible experience. And so he, they ended up leaving the next morning and we stayed like one more night and then left as well. Wow. So wow. we just didn't go. We were very careful where we went after that point. <laughs> I don't blame you. Well, you're braver people than I could ever be because I would have left the, the, the second thing started going south. Well, let well me... it, it's, I, I said, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, well, let me, let me welcome you properly to the show. Now we're talking to Kathy Strain. Now she's the author of Giants, Cannibals, and Monsters. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Thank you so much for sharing that story. That was great. Oh, thanks for having me. No, it's my pleasure. It really is. 
Now, let me start right off. Like, is, is that the incident that got you in, in so invested in, in, in Sasquatch? Oh, no, no. Um, I actually, it's when I saw a movie when I was a little kid, I don't remember how old I was. It was, uh, uh, I forgot the name of them. Legend of Boggy Creek. Okay, and yeah, so maybe eight, nine, somewhere around there. Um, I was so intrigued by that, that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to grow up to, to, you know, be a researcher and study Bigfoot. And I told my teacher that, and she said, well, you know, I, I think you should go into anthropology. And I said, okay. So I, I figured it out that nobody was going to pay me to, to study Bigfoot for a living. And so, but it was a natural um, for me to be in anthropology anyway, because we grew up doing all that neat historic stuff and, you know, going to national parks and camping and museums and all that stuff. So it, it was a good fit for me anyway. Yeah, it seems like it. And and during your studies of anthropology and as well as you, you, you've crossed kind of crossed over into the to the Bigfoot world, like what, what have you noticed about the two species that are kind of similar, but but yet different? Like, is there anything in particular that really kind of stands out? I mean, like you just mentioned the bluff charging and that, that's very characteristic of, of, of gorillas. But, you know, and, and from what I understand, it's kind of a, a common thing with Sasquatch as well. But do they, do they share any other types of, of um, behavior? Well, it's it's actually difficult to say. So we don't know what kind of, of uh, living arrangements they have. We don't know if they're a troop. We don't know those kinds of things because we don't have enough data to know that information. But, you know, chimps throw rocks, chimps throw uh, sticks. So that's something that's very similar. They they make sounds when they're um, nervous or upset. And so we believe Bigfoots do that as well. So there's some things that you can pick up, but until we actually have you know, more scientific data, it's it's not entirely certain what other characteristics they might share. Yeah. So it's one of those things that, you know, we know chimps make tools, essentially. You know, they, they strip leaves and stuff off of small little branches and use that to dip down to get termites. And I would assume, based on how intelligent a chimp, a, a chimp is, that a Bigfoot probably can do small things like that. You know, they, I don't believe they're making, you know, projectile points or spears or anything like that. But they can probably do some amount of tool making. But it's how would we identify that? You know, how would you know that 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 stick on the ground that has no leaves on it was just used by a Bigfoot to do something? You know, it, it would be hard to pick that out until we actually we actually observe that. Yeah. And what are some of the more um, more fascinating observations that you've made in the time that you've been studying? I think I used to poo-poo, I guess, the, the thought that Bigfoot was as fast as some people would claim. You know, like I, I'd interview witnesses and they'd say, you know, I was driving at 50 miles an hour and the Bigfoot was, was equally with me. And I used to go, oh, that's not possible. You know, there's no animal that fast except the gazelles, blah, blah, blah. And then after seeing it, for myself, I completely, I think for me, that is the most eye-opening, accepted kind of event or information that I've had. And so I would never, ever now say to anybody, there's no way Bigfoot could do that because I obviously don't know what Bigfoot is technically capable of. And that's obviously a lot more than, I should give them more credit for what they're capable of because I've obviously seen them do some amazing things and so i shouldn't just throw stuff out if it doesn't fit my norm of what an animal is possible 
is capable of doing. Yeah, 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 and and I feel the same way. I mean these these Sasquatch. I mean they. I think they're so they're just. It's almost like they don't belong in the woods. They belong <laughs> just because of the things they can do. But I mean, I guess that goes with them being so well adapted to their environment that they they can navigate through the woods very very easily and very very fast. So. I'm not shocked at hearing that. I hear that quite often, actually, just the speed of these creatures that can, it, it's mind-blowing. It doesn't seem real. Yeah, and I think it's its when they need to. I mean, I can, I've been an archaeologist for 32 years, and obviously, you know, just because I've hiked in the woods all my life, and I, I do things uh, just because I've adapted to it. So my husband can't stand it when we go to the store together because I just walk at my normal pace, and it's, he's, he's two rows back already because I, I have to get into my, I'm in the grocery store. You don't have to walk like you're in the field kind of thing. And it's clear to me that they, you know, they go up and down hillsides. I doubt they, they contour it. I think they go straight up and they go straight down. Well, eventually that's going to develop some powerful leg muscles, you know, and if you have to, you know, fend for your food, you're going to end up having strong arm muscles. And so they've adapted over, you know, thousands of years potentially. And so, yeah, it doesn't, that the woods are there. We're nothing to them. You're the greatest woodsmen in the world. I don't think have anything on them whatsoever. Yeah. Like they're going to beat you every time. Yeah. And for them to hunt with their bare hands, which I'm assuming they do, because they obviously, I don't think they've harness the power of like bows and arrows or spears or things like that. But yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're just on another level when it comes to living outdoors. Then we, we, I don't even think we can imagine. Yeah. You know, going back to that no. way of life. Yeah. This generation, they'd never make it without their phones and <laughs> you know, they, they don't have, a, there's no way they're surviving out there. No way. Well, you know, my kids, uh, we, we go camping, but we have these air quotes on that one. Cause I actually prefer to call it glamping because we don't, we have a trailer and <laughs> roughing it just isn't in our DNA anymore. <laughs> well, let me, let me touch on your book now because I tried to find it. And for some reason, it's very difficult to locate your book. It, it must be extremely popular, which is really good news for you. Well, I think it's actually pretty much out of print. So um, there, my publisher and I have been talking about reprinting the book and we're trying to figure out how we want to do it. Um, but yeah, it's a, it is a popular book, um, mostly because it, it's, it's, you know, I present the Native American stories as they are. I don't add anything to it. I don't comment on it. It's just, it's a collection of those traditional stories. So it's not uh, me analyzing, I think this tribe really meant to say blah, blah, blah. I don't, I don't do that. What the tribe has to say is what the tribe has to say. And I, they don't need my opinion on it because who cares? And so it's just a collection of those from um, Canada, Alaska, all through the United States. And so uh, there are some holes in, in some areas like Kansas. You know, it was pretty hard to find um, any traditional stories about Bigfoot in those areas. But, you know, a lot of tribes were displaced. And so um, there are not every tribe is represented and not, not every single location is represented either just because they... I couldn't find anything or it wasn't obvious or the tribe themselves didn't, wasn't able to tell me any stories. And so it's, you know, it's as complete as I could do at that time. Yeah. And actually, you know what, I, I heard your interview on uh, Cliff and Bobo's podcast and it's actually why I reached out to you because, you know, you mentioned that you've, you studied a lot of the native American uh, lore around Sasquatch or Bigfoot. 
and I had I knew I had to reach out to you because I, I had to pick your brain a little bit because I'm absolutely fascinated with the subject of it. And in the area where I come from, um, Sasquatch is right up there, you know, a sacred animal and it's part of the culture and everybody knows, you know, they're out there and you just leave them alone. Now, what I wanted to, to ask you and pick your brain about is what's the differences between each different band? Oh, sorry. I guess you guys call them tribes down there. Uh, but what, what, what are some of yeah. the major differences that, you know, from tribe to tribe to tribe have said about the, about these, uh, these creatures? Well, and, and that's a um, very interesting and fascinating subject because they tribes each have a different view. I mean, the overall view across, you know, that I could pick out is that leave him alone, don't bug him. That that's his berry patch over there. Just don't bother getting berries from there. This is ours. You know, just you know, don't try to have an encounter with him. And but there are also tribes like uh, so that where I live right now are the Miwoks. And they have probably the most beaten Bigfoot stories of any tribe that I've I've dealt with. But adjacent to the Miwok are the Yokuts and or the Tule River, you can call them that too. Um, Bigfoot or Hairy Man for them is an extraordinarily important animal to them. So they have a painting of him. It's called the Hairy Man Pictographs, and they're not a cave, but a rock shelter that's got all the paintings of how they were created. And Harry Man is very important to them because that's why we walk on two feet. If it wasn't for him, Coyote wanted us to walk on all four. And so in this cave or this rock shelter is an eight foot tall painting of the Harry Man plus the, the a mother Bigfoot in a in a infant or child Bigfoot. And that's really important. They they consider that symbol to represent them as a tribe. And when one of the elders passes away, it's Harry Man who comes and takes him over to the other side. So those are just right adjacent to each other. And so you can see how just, you know, not even 100 miles of difference that you know, um, for one tribe, he's basically sacred. He's important to their creation versus the tribe that's over here goes, nope, don't want to have nothing to do with him. Forget it. And so, you know, the, just how did that come to be and why do the Tule River feel so attached to to that hairy man? You know, I've never really gotten a lot of chance to, you know, I, I've interviewed, of course, uh, elders from both tribes, but it's they don't really can tell you how did that come to be? It just always has been. And so it just is. So, so I don't think the stories, they, they, I don't think that they're, uh, they're too concerned about the history or where the stories come from. You know, they just are. And I find that that comes from my same region as well. You know, you leave them alone. They're out there. They're just, they're just there. You leave them alone. You respect them and uh, you, they deserve their space. So you just give it to them. And then that's at least in the region that I'm in right now. I mean, I, I originally grew up in, in Saskatchewan where, um, you know, Sasquatch really isn't talked about all that much. I mean, there's not a lot of uh, uh, wooded area in southern Saskatchewan where I grew up, so it's not really spoken about too much. Have you come across any of that, any of the bands that really don't have much or, or any information? I mean, I know you mentioned Kansas, but were there any bands that just said, you know what, I don't know, it's just... Yeah, oh yeah, there's, there's surprisingly, there were tribes that absolutely have no stories whatsoever, like on our coast here in California, none of those tribes appear to have 
any Bigfoot stories whatsoever. And they kind of look at you a little funny when you ask, because they're like, well, no, that's never been part of our history. And so, and that could possibly be based on environment. You know, if you don't have wooded trees or you don't have X, Y, Z, maybe that's why there's no Bigfoot there or historically any Bigfoot there because there wasn't the resources or there wasn't something that maybe we don't understand uh, that they need. And maybe there's certain areas where that resource isn't present. So, you know, we can speculate all we want to, but, you know, there's definitely tribes that did not have, um, any Bigfoot stories whatsoever. And then they then you'd have areas where every single tribe in the area has got a story and all just a little different from each other. And so it's, it's, it's definitely is an interesting, um, concept and what why I did the book is because you know you hear people say all the time that Bigfoot was invented quote unquote in in the 1950s when that you know down at Bluff Creek they found those footprints and then then the Patterson Gimlin film with the patty you know walking across that they didn't exist and I used to go no hey wait a minute you know the the Chile River's got a pictograph of a Bigfoot that's from like it's we have photographs of it from over 100 years ago they're not making that up they didn't invent Bigfoot when the white person filmed them they've always believed that and and I used to hear that from skeptics you know they would just badger you know why do you believe Bigfoot you're a scientist blah 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 and I go because Native American people believe it skeptics used to hammer me a lot about believing in Bigfoot because I'm a scientist and I should you know apply scientific um scientific aspect to it and I would say you know I believe in Bigfoot because Native Americans do but then of course I had my own sighting but it was still true that it it's I don't discount stuff that's old just because it's old and yet so many people today you know they just consider old knowledge not to be worthy of anything and I'm just like well you're you're the one missing out on all that knowledge because they also used to set the forest on fire to keep it healthy and and look California look at all these wildfires we're having because we don't keep our forest healthy and so there's all kinds of knowledge out there that you can gain by just being open and listen and hear what they have to say and so that's that was the true heart of why I wanted to to do the book was to spread spread that knowledge as most as I could best as I could before you know some of it was lost yeah for sure that that, that that's very admirable of you as well I wanted to ask uh, how did you collect information from like uh, like from one end of the country to the other like say, what's the difference from Florida to California for instance was there was there major differences in between the stories that you'd you'd hear from one side of the country to the other um yeah there there are some differences like you know here in the um Pacific Northwest, including Canada and all that, there's a traditional belief that there's a, a Bigfoot carries a basket on his back and goes around and picks up bad children and then you eat them. You know, that's that's pretty widespread and common. But back in, like, say, the South, it's very common to have um, Bigfoot be a marriage partner. That's a polite way of saying it. Um, and so that's kind of unusual, basically. But yeah, I mean, it just depends. Uh, up in the in the east, it's really evil Bigfoots, and that's why kind of the way it's titled was because some are just giants, some were the cannibals that are eating the kids, and then the monsters were the you know hunt you down. You know, once they know that you exist, I'm, I'm, or they saw you, they're going to come get you no matter what you do, and you can walk and run as far as you want to, but they're still coming after you, kind of thing. And so. 
you know, the differences, uh, the descriptions never varied much. You know, it's always tall, always hair covered, always something that they'd heard of but hadn't seen, that kind of, you know, um, description of it. Sometimes he, he's holding a club, other times he, he's poking people with a stick. You know, there's all kinds of, of different characteristics, but the physical description is always the same. And that's what, what to me is why that's really important because I always have to put it plain and simple that they didn't have the internet back then. They didn't have telephone. They didn't, weren't writing each other's letters or anything like that. So they're basically describing something all those people were seeing. And so just like coyote stories, just like condor, just like, you know, all those eagle, you know, I could go on and on and on about different animals because they really were observing those animals in the wild. And they wanted to pass that knowledge on, of course, to the next generation through that story. Yeah, exactly. And, and I've also heard that um, Bigfoot, you know, Sasquatch and, and people actually shared a relationship, uh, you know, centuries ago before, you know, Europeans came onto the side of the continent and, and, and kind of put a division in between the, the Sasquatch and the people. Uh, have you heard anything similar, like from, from at least your end of the, of the continent? Um, the only the only thing that I can remember off the top of my head was that during when, you know, the Trail of Tears, when they were moving tribes, relocating them, um, is, Trail of Tears is what it's called. They, they had a story, the Choctaw, and I believe the Cherokee too, that there was a group of Bigfoot that wanted to come with them. And so, but they were afraid of, of the military people. And so they were camping just behind them so they you they would travel six miles they would stay at you know five and a half miles so they could keep track of them and but wanted to come with them and and one of the stories there's two different versions one of the stories is the the chief of the tribe went back and said no you're just going to find pain and and aggravation if you continue with this because we don't know where we're going what the environment's going to be like you're better off going back and staying where you're at and so the Bigfoots left, and then they didn't have any more stories after that time period. So all their stories are before that time, and they'll say that. This, this is before we were moved. And then a, another version of it is they let them come with them, and that's why there's Bigfoot in Oklahoma, because they let them come with them. <laughs> and so, um, but that was a, uh, I always thought that was a little, you know, either way it's a touching story because it's they it makes it come off like the Bigfoot, and humans were, they couldn't work without each other. They needed each other in order to survive. And so that's what I always took it is that it was, they, they would be lonely without their tribe. Yeah. That, and I've heard that as well too. It, it just seems like, um, you know, the more we extend our hand to, you know, get back in the good graces of Sasquatch and, and Bigfoot, you know, the further away we seem to be pushing them because they, they, from from at least my point of view, they really don't want to have much to do with us, if anything at all, really, right? Oh, no, I don't think that. I, well, it depends. I think they're curious about us, and that's because, like I said, they drove us crazy by, you know, at least making us run around the the cabins for entertainment purposes, no doubt, because, you know, that's pretty entertaining watching a bunch of hairless <laughs> apes run around, right? Um, but I, I think in general that they really don't want to have anything to do with this, and, and that they at least you know, the current generation have been raised 
going, not, not those people, leave those people alone because they got fire sticks and they're mean and they have these cars that, that these things that go fast that could hit you and run you over. And so, and I don't think, of course, that was back in, in the day, you know, where and then tribes would just respect them and leave them alone and go on their own merry way, didn't make a fuss, didn't, you know, act like an idiot, you know, kind of thing. And so it was easy to get along and function, at least, you know, leave me alone and I'll be myself and live my way and you will leave you alone and you do what you need to do. And so, yeah, I think that they definitely have learned that we're not somebody you want to hang out with or else they wouldn't have ran from me. Surely they would have stopped and said, Hey, you want to hug or something? But no. Nope. <laughs> Now I, I'd have to I have to ask this is because you mentioned it earlier, but I, I've been really curious and I really haven't had much uh, you know explanation for it. But I have to ask about the basket lady stories. Now, how many how many like did that go from east to west, or, or was is that just in a specific location of the U.S.? Because I haven't heard that story in in my region, which I'm in Canada. Uh, but is that more of a, an American type tale that that's been told? Um, they're, they're found up in Vancouver and, uh, Washington, Oregon, and then down here in California. So oh. that is a, it's, I, I could count that there's probably the most common thing that there is. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I'm gonna have to do a little more research on that. I, the reason I'm asking some of those questions is because I, I'm, I'm having a real difficult time finding aggressive encounters or, or things that were there, where they're, you know, they're out deliberately trying to, to hurt people, which I, I just can't seem to find. For instance, like your your incident where they were throwing rocks at your cabin and, and such. I don't believe that was intended to hurt you. I think that was intended to, you know, maybe scare you off and get rid of you because, you know, they just don't want you around. And, and the reason I ask is because I just don't think that these creatures are as violent as, you know, the media makes them out to be. And I'm just wondering, let me ask you this. Do you think uh, along the same lines as I am? I, I don't think that they were intending to hurt us because trust me, they, uh, they're good shots. And so if they had wanted to hurt any of us, I think they could have. And, and I have had a couple of times where um, I heard a rock coming and I moved just in time for it to slam into the back of the cabin. And had I not moved, I would have been hit. And so we have a few examples of that. One, one happened to my husband that a rock had hit uh, just the, the end of the roof line and then popped off and landed right between his legs. And so, you know, that was just short of hitting him pretty hard, but I don't, I wouldn't have thought that was intentional. I think that was, they were just really good shots and it just, you know, oops, you know, yeah, I throw baseballs and I, I've hit more people in the head than I care to, to, (laughs) you know, say, but I didn't intend to do it. So, but um, there are, there's two different, uh, I mean, I don't think they're little bunny foo-foos, you know, kind of bunny rabbits that we can pet them and have them as our friends. But I, and but I don't think they're currently on a war path of killing people left and right. And so I think I think like any animal in that situation, that if they feel threatened, then they're they can react. It's like any other human would be. If I felt threatened, I'd react. It's just a, would I run away or would I go forward and try to take you out before you take me out. I, I think, I think that's all animals, um, inc- humans included, what we should expect for them to do. Now there are people who believe and, and they have all kinds of podcasts about it. You believe that there's currently out there right this minute and, and routinely, not every missing person, but a, a, a 
an amount of people that are have gone dis- gone missing because of Bigfoot making them go away. And I don't never quite gotten out of those people. Are you mean killing them? Or are they kidnapping them? Or what are they doing? And they just leave it so vague. I can't really, you know, still don't know the answer to that. But there are definitely people who believe that. I, I, I think they're like any animal. You should be respect them. But, you know, I don't think that if I'm out camping, I would expect that a Bigfoot would burst through my tent with bloody intent to take me out. I, I, I personally don't believe that. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm in the same boat as you. And I do get the odd email every you know every couple of weeks saying asking me basically someone will send me coordinates of a missing person and think you know asking me do you think bigfoot did this and i was like well i don't know (laughs) how am i supposed to know that a i wasn't there and and b i i kind of doubt it but you know there's a lot of things that could go wrong in the forest so people have to kind of stop you know jumping to conclusions when it comes to to bigfoot you know and kidnapping people and whatnot i I just think they got better things to do and you'd have to in in my own personal opinion i think you'd have to do something very um egregious to them to for them to actually do something go that far because i really do think that they they know that if you know you mess with one one person then more are going to come and it just goes against their 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 belief you know they want to stay away from us so that that's my own personal opinion but i i get those quite often as well as like did this person go missing from bigfoot I don't know. Your call is as good yeah. as mine. Well, in, in being a, a Forest Service employee, um, but we have people go missing all the time uh, in the sense of, of they get lost out in the wilderness and they people oftentimes think they're better hikers and, and in better condition than what they really are or they think they've got all this experience when they really don't. And so those are much more likely explanations for people missing or lost right this minute than Bigfoot. Yeah. You know, there, there can't be that many Bigfoot in all of America. And you have the most rotten luck that you're outside and you run into the one that, you know, is going to kill you. I mean, that's, that's a, you know, you might as well go buy the lot, a lottery ticket because that's, that's how good your luck is that you ran, you, you got the one murderous Bigfoot. And so, um, <laughs> yeah, I, there's many, many other explanations that are much more likely. Yeah. You're more than likely to get killed by a cougar than a Sasquatch. I'm, I'm just going to go on a limb and say yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or a rattlesnake or, you know, something else. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you one more question before we move on here. But like you mentioned that you're, you're, you take care of the national forest in the U S um, how has the forest fires been, affecting the Sasquatch population and in your own opinion, obviously, because you don't know all the details, but you know, you look at British Columbia where I'm located and every two years we go through a major two or three years, we go through a major fire spell where we're on fire constantly. And I, and I see on the news, you know, California is kind of in the same boat as we are now. How how do you think that affects the Sasquatch population in in California? Well, I think it's a huge effect because, um, and, and I know from personal experience that we, my husband and I are both Bigfooters and we used to, on a yearly basis, well, all the time, we used to do it in a big fun group uh, all the time, but uh, there's a location where we had pretty reliable um, results where we could do something we called call blasting and get them to call back to us. And so, but in 2013, we had at that time, one of the largest uh, fires in California, been way surpassed by now with all these ones we've had just last year and it burned that location um fairly well and it that was 2013 so now we're talking you know 
seven, eight years later, and we, we don't get any action there at all. So I think it affects them. I think that they, they need resources and burned up trees and, you know, the stuff that comes back, you know, when we burn trees and in California, you know, what we get back is uh, shrubs. You know, we don't get the natural tree regrowth as we should normally. Yeah. And so it becomes very difficult to move through and, and a lot of trees too, that we're trying to let some areas naturally regenerate. And so the trees that fell during the fire, you know, are jackstrawed and that makes it even worse to try to travel through. So we're just not great habitat anymore. And so I think they, that it, they moved on to something that's much better than us, but then the next time that'll burn and then there's going to be a time where there's no place else to go because we burned it all up. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. I often think about that when, you know, you see the fires on TV and whatnot and think, well, not only Sasquatch, but, you know, the deer have to be leaving, you know, the elk and the moose and everything else has to go find somewhere else. So I'm pretty certain that, you know, the Sasquatch and Bigfoot, they, they kind of just go along with it, you know, because that's their sources of protein, obviously. And, 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 uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, they're displaced now they're displaced and now they have to find a new home. Have you, um, have you followed up on any, like, did you find out where they uh, relocated to, or you just kind of leave that area to be? Well, I think they just moved over because it seems like for the stuff that we were having happen, and, and it's hard to explain because, uh, but it's, um, then we have one river Canyon. So our forest is made up of three major river canyons. And I think they just moved over to the next river Canyon because then we started getting more witnesses telling us about sightings in the next river Canyon. And so I, they didn't have to go too far, but what happens if the, the one they're in now burns up? What, you know, there's not a lot of choices around here and it burns good too. We, we don't do little burns. We do nice big burns that consumes almost everything. And so those always kind of make it, um, you know, difficult, you know, where, and you don't know how many there are. Is it one family group or is it, did, how many were dis- displaced? Was it, you know, X, Y, Z? We just, we just don't know. And so, um, but that did increase after that fire. That's, that's where we get most of the witnesses or the, the reports that come in or the one river Canyon over. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And one more thing before we move on though, you just mentioned family groups uh, and I, I'm just asking for your theory and, or your opinion on, on the matter, but do you think that Sasquatch, do they, do they live in, in, in family groups with, with other family groups, like to form tribes or, or do you think that they're one family group to one area or, or is there, or is there multiple families in one area? I, I think it's one family. And I and just based on what I know about primates in general, I think you have a dominant male who's large and in charge. And then several breeding females. And then you have um, children, I guess. I know I'm trying to think of a good word. Or <laughs> infants. You have toddlers. You have adolescents. I think there's a wide range group then under that that are um, in that family group. And then when I believe for me anyway, when uh, a male gets to an age where then he's looking for a mate, then that's when they get kicked out and they have to go fend for themselves in another location because this, this location's occupied and these females are accounted for. And so that's, that's what I think, but there's no proof of that whatsoever. And it's basically based on that in where we had our sighting in 2012, I then had a, a, a sighting the following year of what I believe to be an infant. And then the year after that, I, I had a sighting of what I believe is to be the dominant male because he was gigantic and gray. 
spraying okay. color. And so, yeah. So for me, then just seeing if you count what we call them, a old gray, an infant, the two that I saw in 2012, plus my husband saw a third one, that same trip that was a completely different color. That's just five right there of discernible uh, hair color, discernible sizes. And so to me, if there's five, we probably never, we never got to see the breeding females that, you know, making it up, say they're, you know, 20 to 40 years old, you know, in human years, but we never saw them. And so the, like I said, the ones that I saw, I always had, I just an impression of myself that it was a older adult, older sister babysitting the bratty little brother. And then an infant, then the leader of the group, and then my husband saw something that he would have described as a teenager, a male teenager who was real tall and lanky. And so um, that's a family group to me. Yeah. We obviously knew each other, so and that so that's the best I got. But based just on that observation, that that's likely what we're dealing with. And then you know who else would be in that group? Um, probably another four or so. Maybe, and who knows if there was more infants. I assume that, you know, they probably have a gestation the same as humans, so it probably maybe a year, you know, nine months to a year to produce, and then you're not available for another two years. And so there could be a, a, a wide range of ages in that group. Okay, I got you. I got you. I, I have to ask because I've, I've never, I haven't spoken to anybody um, in my own research or on the podcast who's seen an infant Sasquatch. I need you to tell me a little bit about that just to satisfy my own curiosity. Oh. Cause I, 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 I assume that they look like baby chimpanzees, but please, if yep. you could, if you humor yep. me and just yep. tell me what it looked like. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I'm, I'm sitting on uh, the back of the porch and I saw the, a tree branch moving and I assumed it was um, a, a squirrel cause they're really big and out comes this black form it was gripping the tree just like a chimpanzee would at a flat back and no tail and it went to the end of the branch and then it jumped over from that branch over to another tree and at first I thought it was a chimpanzee and that's what I thought oh I just saw a chimpanzee and then I was like Kathy you're so stupid there's no chimpanzees running a wild running around wild in Oklahoma and I went ah so I told the rest of the group, I said, oh, this is where we saw. And we ran over to where I saw it. And then we could just see that it had continued to move through the trees because you could just see that it's moving and shaking. And so um, then later on that same trip, another member of the group saw the same um, infant. And so I always wondered when I'm standing there looking at it, it's like, where was mom? You know, where was she like standing behind me this entire time? Was she in that clump of trees over there? And I just. You know, you know what I mean? It was just, it kind of warmed me over like, oops, you know, we did thing. We didn't get here very quickly because mom could have been supervising um, that. But it was, it was, it was so amazing in the sense of that my mind immediately assigned it a known animal that I've seen dozens of times at the zoo. So my mind, even though I'm there looking for Bigfoots, I see one and it's still something that I'm more familiar with. And so, but that's how, you know, our minds kind of work you know yeah. we we always ascribe something i know that product so it must be that when it's when it's really something else yeah yeah exactly you know we, we try to make sense of what we're looking at and we do that with everything but yeah, yeah. so so did mom or, or dad come come and and get the baby or did you guys just walk away or nope 
nope. Wherever that baby went, he just continued on whatever he was doing. And I, we didn't see him again. And, or I didn't anyway, the other guy did later in the week. We didn't see anything else nearby. There was no other activity going on. And so maybe in their culture, once you meet, meet four months old, maybe you get to run up and down trees all you want to without any supervision. But I, I don't know. There's no way to know. I know I wouldn't do that because, you know, I'm more protective and I would like what I just spent all that time carrying around in my stomach to be safe for a certain amount of time. But like I said, maybe they were there and we just didn't see them. Yeah. There's just no way for us to know. So. Yeah. It sounds like they're very agile right from the get-go, don't you think? Like if they're jumping from tree to tree at that, at, at four, you know, whatever, how old, I'm assuming it was, very yeah, I don't young. Know how. yeah but like, but even then like to put it into an equivalency i have a five-year-old granddaughter but i don't think she's jumping from tree to tree <laughs> you know what i mean like so <laughs> they must start out really really agile and just well adapted to the point that they're as soon as they're born they know what they know what to do they gave it, it just seems even from your own story that just seems like that seems to be the case with, with them yeah and i would believe that i mean you know it, it doesn't take long for even uh baby chimps to be, you know, in the trees because that's that's what you're taught right off the bat. And and there were stories previous that they had seen an adult. Not so not not our group, but the landowner had one of the reasons we kind of got clued in on this area. The landowner uh, had seen a Bigfoot, a full grown one, not not a like a eight footer, but a an adult sized Bigfoot in a tree there on his property. And so. Um, I always found that really interesting because you wouldn't think uh, those kinds of trees would bear the weight of something. And we're just guessing how much we think they weigh, but they're not, you know, they're not a hundred pounds when they're full grown. They, I mean, just to be fair, I would estimate somewhere between 300, 500 pounds. And just my idea of what a, what a, a tree can support. I mean, I wouldn't guess it, but you know, they, he was standing in the crook of, of the, the, tree and another branch and that those are pretty strong i would guess so but i'm not as familiar with their trees as i am trees that we have here in california california most of our trees are you know we have giant sequoias we have those big gigantic trees that um can support a lot of weight and beautiful pines and cedars and so i wouldn't surprise me here but that that's what that loner had said he he had looked up in the tree and there it was and he was like oh you know i don't know i don't think i'd feel very good if i felt a, a full grown adult in the tree above my head i was just thinking the exact same thing i don't know how i would have reacted <laughs> to that probably by wetting myself first of all <laughs> yeah yeah are, are you getting out in the field much in, in like lately just to get out and do some in, investigations or anything like that no no i haven't because we have the covid down here so we just took the the year off and um hopefully we'll be doing something soon but hard to know when everybody's going to get vaccinated and every you know i am vaccinated as well as my husband but it's you know everybody else that's out there but you know it's okay sometimes to take um some time off we just have a new granddaughter uh that was born in um february oh congratulations spending our time with her yeah so we have a, a grandson and a granddaughter and so it's nice spending time with them and just you know enjoying their company while they're still young and still think we're funny and entertaining it won't be long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know they're 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 super adorable when they get young, but they turn into kids eventually, and then they're they're all over the place. <laughs> Very much so. 
were, were you guys actually getting out into the field at all? Like, were you doing expeditions and whatnot before before pre-COVID? I guess um, I should say. Oh yes, before yeah, we had we were in the field quite a bit. So and um, you know, hopefully we'll get back to where it is. It's you know things change and. And it won't be like this forever. So that, that's our plans to get back into the field. Yeah, we're we're in. My, that's why I like it. Yeah, I mean, my my friends are kind of in the same group. We we uh we kind of put everything kind of to bed for a while until COVID kind of runs its course and life can go back to somewhat normal. But uh, I'm I'm really itching to get back out in the field. I, I went out into the bush two days ago, and that was the first time I'd been out in oh at least nine months. Yeah, so it's been a while. Yeah, yeah, oh. it's a. Uh... It's kind of entertaining when you think about. It. I make fun of uh, my when my workmates call me and I go, you know, did you go outside today? And I said, no, the sunlight burns. It burns. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna use that. <laughs> Are there any plans for a, another book? Um, I I had considered, and I'm still thinking about it about doing. I found I did a similar thing for South America, gathering stories from there and. And I went down that path, and then then I got sidetracked, and I haven't been back to it. So I I may do something along that lines. And then I also was considering, um, you know, doing some short stories where I could do more analysis or you know compare two tribes to each other, that kind of thing, so that um, you know we can point out why it's important that that you record this data because it, you know they're telling you in advance what this this creature is and if you can learn it from them i mean bigfoot hasn't changed what native americans saw 100 200 300 years ago they they haven't evolved quote unquote so much that you couldn't you know use that knowledge that they already have to understand them you know they're still going to behave the same so you should use that that information uh to your benefit yeah that sounds like a great idea i thought about doing that but we'll see yeah yeah, that sounds we'll like a really that sounds like a really good idea. I I know for from my my own personal point of view though, I I, I love hearing how um, different cultures and different tribes and bands, you know, perceive the same thing uh, and on different levels. So I, I I don't know why I just I find that amazing. You know, how something from that's essentially the same can be seen. You know, from totally mm-hmm. different points of view, and it, it just it, that to me I find amazing. So I'm hoping that you do write one. <laughs> oh. Well, well, we'll see. You know, you think during the pandemic I'd have some time to do something, but it just seems like I'm more busy now than I was before. Oh boy, tell me about it. Tell me about it. I totally understand. I completely get it. Well, Kathy, this has been great. I really do appreciate you taking the time. I, I like I said, I heard you on Cliff and Bobo's podcast, and I, I knew I had to talk to you. I just wanted to get, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit, and I, I could probably pick your brain for another three more hours, but. I know we both don't have that kind of time. So I want to say thank you for coming on. That was, a, it's been a real pleasure. Oh, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Okay. And, and for the listeners, if you guys want to hang around, we'll be right back. We'll close out the show. Stay there. And we're back, everyone. We are back in time to pull a pin on yet another episode. I'm glad you guys are here with me. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I, I know I did. I mean, I think I enjoyed that a little too much. I was talking to Kathy about, you know, the different belief systems about the different tribes around the continent, really. And uh, I neglected to mention, I did, well, I neglected to get into one major topic I had written down right in front of me, by the way. 
uh, I wanted to talk about the, the North American Wood Ape and, and her involvement in, in the project and, and all that. And I just didn't. <laughs> See what I mean, people? Like, I get so involved in, in listening and I just, things kind of just go. <laughs> so I, I do apologize if you guys were hoping for that. I, my main um, goal for the interview today was to actually just talk about the different perspectives from different tribes around the continent. So, um, you know what, if I'm lucky enough to have Kathy back on one day, I can, I, I really want to get into that as well, because to me, that's another fascinating topic and, and I'd love to get into it with her. So, um, you know, I'll reach out at, at a later date, but I want to say thank you for now, Kathy, you were amazing. And thank you so much for taking the time. I really, really do appreciate it. And, and if you guys want to find her book, well, it's not easy to come by, but if you do even get a used copy off Amazon or something like that, definitely check it out. I, I found one on uh, I found one at a local bookstore, not in a city, not that far from me. So I'm going to go drive over there sometime this week and uh, pick it up and give it a good read because, uh, the whole subject of, of different tribes and different perspectives is amazing to me. And, and it's it just, it, it fuels that desire to learn more and more and more. So, so thank you, Kathy. I, I really do appreciate you coming on. Um, let's see what's coming up next week because there will not be a show this coming Saturday. Uh, I have plans a Saturday. We're actually going to go enjoy the beautiful weather. And I think you guys should too. But you know what? What's coming up next Tuesday? Let's push this button. We'll find out. On the next episode of this Sasquatch show, brought to you by Nicola Valley Bigfoot. And so then we hit the headlights and we noticed that, you know, it was done at that point about maybe five, ten yards in front of the truck looking right at us. And it was big. It was like the one in the Patterson film. It was nuts. So tune in for that one. That was a that was another fun one to do. Uh, you know what? As the podcast keeps going on and going on, I'm having more and more fun because I think I'm getting a little bit more comfortable with actually talking into a microphone and um, talking to other people. You, you know, and for the people that know me, I'm not a talker. I, I really am not. I'm a I'm a man of action, so to speak, and uh, I, I speak with my actions. And uh, to actually have to talk and carry on a conversation i know i'm not the best at it but i'm trying and i'm actually having fun doing it so yeah one good thing that came out of this podcast is i'm coming out of my shell a bit so i gotta thank you guys for that um but anyway let's uh get this out of the way if you have had an encounter and you'd like to be on the show i can be contacted at nicola valley bigfoot at gmail.com that's n-i-c-o-l-a nicola valley bigfoot at gmail.com i'd love to hear you guys' encounter and have you on the show possibly so uh uh, send me a line, and uh, we can uh, figure something out. So, uh, once again, no show this Saturday. There is not a show this Saturday, uh, but we will return to our normal schedule on Tuesday with another great episode, so make sure you guys tune in for that. You guys are going to love it. Um, let's get out of here. This is getting a little bit long, uh, so I don't want to take up the rest of your, or take up too much of your time. Uh, so, uh, until Tuesday, I will see you guys later. Bye.
What you do? 